All right. Well, over the last few weeks, uh, three, two weeks ago, we started into the study um, on doctrines. And so we, we did an overview of doctrines. We walked through, talked about what doctrines are. We talked about um, did the different doctrines that we're going to walk through. And last week, we started into our first doctrine, the doctrine of bibliology. Bibliology is where we began. And... Um, and so we started into that. And so last week we saw that bibliology is the study of the Bible. And so that's your first blank there, the study of the Bible. That is uh, what, what we've been jumping into. We talked last week about how bibliology is the foundation for everything that we believe. All the doctrines that we, that we understand come from the scriptures. That's, that's where we base all of our beliefs upon. And so we are passionate about this fact that we need to know what the Bible says, and we need to know about the Bible. This is, this is vital. This is extremely important for us to understand if we are going to have a firm foundation in what we believe. So last week we went through and we saw a bunch of different terms um, that we worked through. And this week uh, we're going to be in Bibliology Part 2, and uh, we're going to do three of these lessons to total. So, so uh, not next week or the week after, but the week after that we will jump into the final part of Bibliology. I'm looking forward to it. Lord willing, y'all are going to translate some Greek into English. It's going to be fun, and uh, you'll, you'll find out all about it. It'll be exciting. Uh, but uh, we'll, we've got some, some more stuff that we'll, we'll touch through on that week. But tonight, we're going to talk about something that's a very important subject, um, but it's something that oftentimes is misunderstood, um, something that is very passionate, but it's very, very vital, very important. And that is translation. Translation, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I, like many of you, probably grew up in a church that taught that there were not many translations of the Bible that were true. There was only one book that was indeed the Word of God. And I would hold tight to my Bible, proclaim that the King James Version was the only book for me, that all other versions were in fact non-inspired versions of the Bible. And honestly, I am grateful for my heritage, for the foundation that God gave me, that the Bible is and was the final authority of my life. And I believe that's why I love the Bible so much today. I just saw that, Rick. That was funny. <laughs> you almost, she almost socked him right in the nose. Anyway, uh, I believe that that's why, uh, we, why we love the Bible, why I love the Bible so much today. If you were to go into my office, you could go through and find all the diff these different Bibles uh, that I have, and all of them have the same labeling on the bindings. It says KJV on the, on the, the bindings. I love the Bible. I love God's Word. I'm passionate about it. I've got Bibles that, um, that were given to me whenever I was younger that monetarily aren't worth very much. I've got Bibles like this one that are worth quite a bit of money. I've got a custom Bible that Tress is using tonight. It was custom bound. And uh, I mean that she had uh, got for me that, that cost a great deal of money. I love God's Word and I'm passionate about God's Word. And I love the King James Version of the Bible and I have no intention of changing what version of the Bible that I preach from, what version of the Bible that I teach from. With all that being said though, there is a certain element, primarily in independent fundamental Baptist world, that have become hateful to anyone who would dare open a book that didn't have the letters KJV stamped on the binding. So some would go as far as to say that if you weren't led out of a King James Bible, that you weren't actually saved. Um, there are some that, would, that, that teach that, that, that believe that. While the rhetoric, rhetoric uh, like that uh, would get a hearty amen and 
the church that I grew up in and many of the churches that I grew up going to, I was challenged a few years ago to not simply just follow the teachings that I'd always been taught, but to actually study it and dive into it for myself. And it's amazing how many times we've heard things in Scripture or we've heard somebody say something about Scripture or we've heard somebody say something about the Bible and because of their position, because maybe they've got a, a, a doctor in front of it or pastor in front of it or whatever, we just simply said, oh, okay, I accept that. But we never actually study these things for ourselves. The Bible tells us that the Bereans were more noble than those that were in Thessalonica and that they studied the scriptures daily whether those things were, were so. That means they didn't just take the word. Yes, they received it readily, but then they went back and made sure that what was being said was actually true, that it lined up with scripture, that it lined up with other things. And so over these past two years, through much prayer and study, I believe that the Lord has opened my eyes to some things that honestly were blinders that were put on me by well-meaning people. Um, like I said, I'm thankful for the heritage that I grew up with. I'm thankful for the teachers that I had growing up that gave me such a high value for the Word of God. And I believe that's why I'm so passionate about it today. And I want to know the truth. Because as we've talked about before, a faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. And while we often will say that, and we hear people say that, I found that many times if somebody questions this thing of the Bible, um, there's many cliche statements that follow that up, and one of which is, don't you believe God could preserve his word to every generation? And my answer to that is an emphatic yes. Absolutely. I mean, the Bible tells us that. But here's the problem. If the person asking the question truly believes that, then how can they honestly say from an academically honest standpoint that God's word was only found in the King James Version of the Bible? Now that sounds, that's a pretty dramatic statement, but think about this. What happened prior to 1600? If the King James Bible came into existence in 1611, what about all the people before that? If, if they didn't have a Bible, if they didn't have God's word, then then number one, the guy that says that's a liar, says that, that, uh, that, that God, they believe God's words for every generation. But even more importantly, God's a liar. The Bible tells us in Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And so if the people prior to 1600 in the King James 1611 Bible didn't actually have the scriptures, then God's a liar. But God isn't a liar. And it's not true. Because God was not mistaken. God didn't lie. The people had the Bible as well. They had God's word. In fact, one of the most mind-altering moments for me came when I sat down and actually read the translator's to the readers section in the front of my Bible. Now, I would guess most of you probably don't have this in your Bible. In fact, of all the Bibles that I've got, if you go in my office, I've probably got, I don't know, 10, 15 different Bibles. I've only got one that actually has the full translators to the readers. You can go and you can look it up. Uh, that Bible over there has a small snippet of it. It's like a page and a half. The actual translators to the readers is quite long. And that's important. 
Because they wrote something. They said, listen, if you're going to read this version of the Bible that we translate, there's some things we want you to know about this translation that we did. Now, before we go into what it is that they said, let's talk about a couple of things. Well, first of all, the King James Version of the Bible, it, it, begins, it began its translation process in, from the manuscripts that it came from into English in 1604. That was when they started the translating process in 1604. There were 54 men that were split into six committees from three universities. 54 men split into six committees, three universities. Those universities were Oxford, Cambridge, and Westminster. Westminster. These men were both scholarly and they were godly. They professed to know Jesus Christ. They professed to have a walk with him. They had a love for God. They had a love for his word. And they revered God's word. For the next seven years, they would translate portions of the scripture from the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic texts into English. That much of their work that they did followed William Tyndale, who had translated the Bible previously into English. He was actually the first one to translate the Bible into English for, uh, for, and, and for the world to, to have. It's an incredible thing. Of the 54 translators, listen to this. Four were college presidents, six were bishops, five were deans, 30 held PhDs, 39 held master's degrees. There were 41 university professors, 13 were masters of Hebrew language, and 10 had mastered Greek. These were smart guys, okay? These weren't just your average intelligent people. These guys knew what they were doing, and they loved God's word, Every man involved in the King James Bible translation believed in the verbal inspiration of the scriptures, all believed in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all were men of prayer. Many were not only biblical scholars and master linguists, but also God-called spirit-filled preachers. Yet the translators considered themselves poor, quote, quote, poor instruments to make God's holy truth to be yet more and more known unto the people. It wasn't that they held themselves in high esteem or that they prided themselves in their ability or in their knowledge. No, they were humble men that said, listen, we don't believe we're even deserving of being able to do this. What an incredible honor. Upon the completion of their work, the 1611 King James Bible these men wrote that little section called the Translators to the Readers. Now, I would encourage everybody at some time to go back and actually read the, the whole thing in its entirety. But I gotta warn you, if you're gonna do it, you gotta plan out some time where you're not gonna be doing anything else and you don't have anything else that you gotta think about. Because I'm gonna tell you, it's hard reading, okay? It's, it's, it's hard to get through. But, if, but I sat down, this, this was about probably a year and a half ago, I sat down and I said, I'm gonna read this. And man, I sat down and I read through it and the first time I read through it, I'm like, man, I don't understand what's going on. And so I had to go back and I'd read it, read it again. I read it a few different times. But I'm telling you, as I was reading through it, the Lord began to show me some things about what these guys said about their own work that was transforming about the scriptures. It's amazing because these guys wrote this and it's very rarely including in the binding of the Bible and it's almost never read by anyone. Most Bibles don't even include this and the ones that do only have a small snippet like that one does, 
this Bible was the first one that I've ever had that had the full translators to the readers at the front. Now, obviously, it's not inspired by God. It's not scripture. We don't claim to be anything like that. But if the people that translated the Bible from the text, and we'll talk next week about the, the, the majority text. We'll talk about the Textus Receptus, the ones that they translated it from. If these were the guys that actually translated the words from Hebrew, from Greek, from Aramaic into English, and they said, listen, there's something that you should know about our translation, it'd probably be good for us to read it at least once in our lifetime. And so tonight, for just a few moments, I want to go through just a couple of the snippets, and I've put them there in your notes that you can follow along with, of what they said about their translation. And I think what we'll find is the very translators of the King James Version of the Bible took positions that some preachers and some independent Baptists and some people today don't take. That almost we've, we've made some things even idols that these men didn't make idols. And we're going to see that tonight. The first statement, the first thing that I want us to see is this first one in here, that the heart, the heart of these men is found in the first few lines under the section called translation, translation necessary. Listen to this, follow along with me as, as we say this. this. Like I said, it's hard to, to grasp it, and I hope you go back and kind of read through it because I think this is so important. They wrote this, but how shall men meditate on that which they cannot understand? How can you, the Bible says in, in Psalm that we're supposed to meditate on his word. He says, how can they meditate on something that they don't understand? How shall they understand that which is kept close in an unknown tongue? As it is written, except I know the power of the voice, I shall be to him that speaketh the barbarian. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian to me. What is he saying? What are they saying? They're very simple. They're saying, listen, if it's not in my language, I can't understand it. I mean, you might just be a barbarian speaking to me. I'd be a barbarian speaking to you. We don't understand each other. They said, listen, it's important that we have it in a common language that we can understand. They desired for the common man to have a copy of the scriptures in their own tongue. Just, it's hard for us to imagine that, but up until this point, this was not something that everybody had. We, we all have collections of the Bible. Everybody here has got, got, got a Bible that they hold in their hand. Back, back before this time, this wasn't something that happened. It wasn't common. People didn't have it in their own language. It was, it was in the original manuscripts. It was in the Hebrews. It was in the, the Greek. It was in other languages, but it wasn't in English. So what good was a translation that was unintelligible? Well, they went on to say this. This is, this is key. Again, showing their heart behind this. Now, the church of Rome would seem at length to bear a motherly affection toward her children and to allow them the scriptures in their mother tongue. But indeed, it is not. it is a gift, not deserved, deserving to be called a gift and a profitable gift. They're saying we, we know that the, the Catholic Church had the Latin Vulgate. Even to this day, many Catholic churches, they'll stand up and they'll read the Bible in Latin. Uh, again, what, how, how does that help anybody? They go on to say this, they must first get, first, they must first get a license in writing before they may use them. So they said, okay, before you can put it into their language, they have to go and get a license first, okay? So much are they afraid of the light of the Scripture that they will not trust the people with it. Said so the, the Catholic Church, they don't believe that the people should have it for themselves. Yea, so unwilling they are to communicate the Scriptures to the people's understanding in any sort, 
that they are not ashamed to confess that we force them to translate it into English against their wills. He said the, the, the very Catholic Church, the state church would stand against what we were doing and say, yeah, these guys are doing something that we do not agree with, putting the Bible into a common man's language. Now listen, listen what they said next. Thus they said, Now what can be more available thereto than to deliver God's book unto God's people in a tongue which they understand? Man, you see the heart behind these guys, these translators, these 54 men. I don't know if it, if it, it, it to me, this just spoke to me so, so richly, so deeply. I mean, it just gave me a love for, for God's word, just so much more. Because these guys are looking saying, listen, these people don't have the Bible in their language. And we want them to be able to study it for themselves. We want them to be able to, to understand the scriptures for themselves. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're translating the Bible. It's because we want everybody to be able to understand it. But here is the part that threw me for a loop. I mean, like this part, the first part was just like, wow, that's astounding. I mean, what a blessing to hear their passion, their heart behind it. But listen to this next part under the section entitled, An Answer to the Imputations of Our Adversaries, okay, to those that are against us. They wrote, now listen, this, these things, and, and we'll work through this slowly, but this is important. I know this isn't in Scripture, but understanding the heart of the men that translated the Scriptures that we hold in our hand today is so important. Listen to what they said. Now to the latter we answer, that we do not deny, nay, we affirm and avow, that the very meanest or the worst translation of the Bible in English set forth by men of our profession containeth the word of God, nay, is the word of God. Period. Stop. We have to think about this for a second. The translators of the Bible, 54 men that gave us the King James Version of the Bible, here they say, by their own words, we're not saying that the versions and the Bibles that are translated before, we're not saying that they weren't the Word of God. In fact, we're saying that they were. You see, there were other Bibles that were translated before the King James Version of the Bible. There was the Geneva Bible. There was the Tyndale Bible. There was, uh, I'm trying to think, there, there was a number of different Bibles that were translated before by individuals or by a couple of different people. This was the first time that a vast group like this came together and translated a version of the Scripture, translated the Bible like this. It was a big deal. They looked and they said, we, we, we're not just going to say that those previous translations, we're not going to say that they didn't, that they, they, they not only contained God's word, no, 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 they are God's word. Here, once again, this is so important. Why? Because the Bible tells us that he's going to preserve his word to every generation. And here the, the translators of the King James Bible stood and said, listen, we know that God has preserved his word to every generation. They, they had the scriptures. They had the word of God as well. Listen to what they go on to say. Truly, good Christian reader, we never thought from the beginning that we should need to make a new translation, nor yet make a bad one a good one, but to make a good one better. Or out of many good ones, one principal good one, not justly to be accepted against that hath been our endeavor, that our mark. 
What, what are they saying here? They're, they're saying here, listen, we're not saying that these were bad translations. What we did is we wanted to take a good one and we wanted to make it better. And they said, in fact, we're, we're taking a multitude of good ones and trying to make it better. They said, that's our goal. We're trying to make a better, a more understandable, a more correct translation of the Bible. They go on and they say this. There be many words. This, this is key. This next paragraph is long. But this is, this is so important because here, here's a key part that the King James writers, King James translators wrote that many today take a stand that the King James translators didn't take a stand on. Listen to what they say here. There be many words in the scriptures which be never found there but once. I understand what they're saying there. They say, listen, there's, there's many words in the Bible that are only said one time. You only, you only find it one time in the Hebrew. You only find it one time in the Greek. There's only one time that it's listed there. So what did they say? Having neither brother or neighbor as the Hebrews speak. We don't really know. There isn't anything really similar to it. So that we cannot be hoping by conference of places. Again, there be many rare names of certain birds, beasts, and precious stones, etc. Concerning which the Hebrews themselves are divided among themselves for judgment. That they may seem to have defined this or that, rather because they would say something than because they were sure of that which they said, as St. Jerome somewhere saith of the Septuagint. Now in such a case, doth not a margin do well to admonish the reader to seek further and not to conclude or dogmatize upon this or that preemptively? <laughs> what are they saying here? This is incredible. They're sitting here and they're saying, listen, there are some words in the scriptures that are only said one time. They say, listen, some of these words, the Hebrew people and the people that speak Hebrew and people that speak others, these languages, that they don't agree upon. So they said, listen, don't be dogmatic about it. There's some words about birds and about rocks, and we translate it as, as a bird or as a rock. And they said, don't, don't, don't be don't dogmatic about this. Don't, don't like, you know, stake your ground on, okay, this is what it... It might be good to, to look in the margins. It might be good to seek outside sources about what this word actually means. What? For as it is a fault of incredulity to doubt of those things that are evident, so to determine of such things as the Spirit God hath left, even the judgment of the judicial, judicious, questionable, can be no less than presumption. Therefore, St. Augustine saith that variety of translations is profitable for the finding out of the sense of the Scriptures. So diversity of signification and sense in the margin where the text is no so clear, much needs do good, yea, is necessary as we are all persuaded. Oh boy, this is, I mean like, <laughs> oh man, this is a big deal. <laughs> These guys say here that it would be profitable to, to, to check various translations. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, we're, we're into some, some treacherous tre territory here, you know, obviously. Now, I, now, listen, they didn't have the vast translations like we have today, okay? So, so let's not confuse ourselves. But what they were saying here is, listen, it, it might be good to have some commentaries, some, some things along with, with what we said, because let's just be honest. There are some things that we, we were divided amongst ourselves, and, but 
we decided that this bird here, and as we mentioned last week, we called it an owl, but it could have been an ostrich. Listen to what they say here as they finish. But we desire that the scripture may speak like itself, as in the language of Canaan, that it may be understood even of the very vulgar, or the undeveloped, the unregenerate. What are they saying? They're saying, we desire that the Bible would be in a language that's understood by everyone. That's our heart. That's why we're doing what we're doing. I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I first read this, and like I said, I'd go back. I would encourage you to go back. You can download the whole thing. I, I went online before this afternoon and just looked. You can find the whole translators to the readers, the whole thing there, and you can read through the whole thing. And there's a lot there that you're going to sit there and you're going to work through and fall asleep on, okay? But there's some of this that's just so important. And what's amazing is in my entire life, I mean, I, I grew up in a church, went to Bible college, been studying God's word for years and years and years and years, and nobody ever said, hey, listen, did you ever read what the translators said about what their translation was? Nobody ever did. We just took our position. Ha! Stake our, stake our ground, plant our flag right here, because why? Because that's what my pastor did, and that's what his pastor did, and his pastor before him, and so ha! Boom! We stake our ground there. When the translators didn't put their flag there, the people that actually gave us the King James Version of the Bible, they didn't say that. I don't know the first time that I read this. I was stunned. Now listen, we can say with absolute certainty that the King James translators did not believe that their translation in any way replaced or corrected the original manuscripts. Okay, this is important to understand as well because there are those that believe that the, the King James Version of the Bible corrects all of the original Greek manuscripts and corrects all the original Hebrew manuscripts. No, no, they did not believe that. <laughs> the, the, the writers and the, the translators of the King James Version of the Bible did not believe that. So, so let's just right off the bat just say that's, that's a foolish stance to take. But neither did they believe that their translation was the only translation that should be accepted as God's word. And that's huge because they said it themselves that they weren't saying that the other ones were bad. They were saying, you know what, we're taking good ones, a multiplicity of good ones, and we're trying to make one better, trying to make it more understandable. And that's huge. Can I remind us as well that God never says, and this is, this is important, God never says that he is going to preserve his word in a specific version of the Bible. He never says it. You, you actually will not find the words King James Bible written in the actual text of the Bible. It's not there. It just isn't. In Revelation chapter number 20, verse number 12, the Bible says, And I saw the dead, and small and great. This is at the throne room of God. Stand before God. And the books were opened. Well, what books were, were they going to be judged out of, okay? The books that were opened are these books. The Word of God. But can I tell you, the books, whenever they open it up, God's probably not going to pull a King James Bible off the shelf and open it up, okay? That's not how it's going to work. Because he knows the original manuscripts. He, he has the original copies of the scriptures. The books that are opened are the books of the Bible, but they're not the King James. Now, with that being said, 
And before you get mad at me, I want to say that I believe that the King James Bible does contain the preserved words of God. And that's the key. God did not re-inspire his word in the King James. That's not how that works, okay? He didn't re-inspire uh, this, this, this book. No, no, no. This, this book contains the preserved words of God. Now, no, okay, you say, Kyle, this, I'm, I'm, you're losing me a little bit here, okay? Understand this, okay? Anytime you translate from one language to another, words have to be added or removed for intelligibility to, to understand. In fact, the King James translators were even more honest than others in that when they added words that maybe weren't in the scriptures, usually most of the time, they would put them in italics. So when you read the Bible, it's not that they're emphasizing something when you read through the scriptures and you see a word in italics. It's not they're emphasizing. No, no, they're being honest and saying, listen, we had to add this here for intelligibility, for understanding, for comprehension. That's just the way that it is. Every time that you translate, no matter what book it is, from one language to another, we translate words. We all probably, I, know, I remember when I was in high school, I had to take a Spanish class. And in Spanish class, you, you'd go and you'd have the sentence. And it didn't make any sense at all because the subject was first and, or the, you know, and then the verb and then the, and then the participle. And then all this stuff was, was in there and you had to translate it and, it, and and it didn't make any sense in English. And you had to rearrange everything to make it makes sense in English, and you had to word, add a word here or there, right? That, that's the way to, well, listen, in the same way, when you translate a Bible or a scripture from one language to another, there are going to be things that have to be added, some things that are going to be removed for intelligibility. Not only that, but here, listen, there have been some revisions since the original 1611 King James translation. Uh-oh. <laughs> Most in this room, the truth is, don't have a six. In fact, I, nobody in this room has an original 1611 Bible. Ah. You mean, Kyle, all those years that I grew up and I'd go to the camp meetings and the preacher would stand up and he'd take his Bible and he'd stomp on the, uh, he'd stomp on the platform and he'd pound his fist on the pulpit and he'd say, I've got the 1611 King James Version of the Bible. And you didn't realize that he didn't actually have a 1611. No, most of us have a 1769. The third or fourth revision. Why is this important? Well, a lot of people will say that it was just a, a change of spelling. And, and there was certainly that from 1611 to 1769. There was a change of spelling. But there's more than that. In fact, I, I went through and, and just I, I got a copy of some of the changes that were made. And I put them there in your, your notes. You can look at them. It has the first one, Joshua 3.11. And, and the truth is, is most of these, they don't change doctrine or anything like that, but, but there are changes, some that are important. Joshua 3.11, you'll see on the, the first part, the first quote there is the original 16.11 with the 16.11 spelling. And the second part is what most of us would have today, the 1769 Bible. And how we'd understand today. So Joshua 3.11. The Ark of the Covenant in the Lord. Okay? Even the Lord. Uh, Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Okay? And so that's the, and then you see the verse there, Joshua 3.11. In 2 Kings 11.10. In the temple versus in the temple of the Lord. So they, they added 
of the Lord in, uh, in, the, six, in the 1769 as opposed to the 1611. In, uh, in Isaiah chapter number 49, verse number 13, they had for God versus for the Lord. Uh, a simple change, but it's important, isn't it? I mean, if, if we're going to be, this is the key. We're being honest about things. Okay, instead of just standing there and just taking uh, and pounding our fists and saying, well, I, uh, uh, it's, hey, let's, let's be honest about things. And, and listen, we're going to bring it all together here in just a minute. Jeremiah 31, 14, with goodness or versus with my goodness. Okay, so there's, there's a change there. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 14, and I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness and my people will be satisfied with goodness, saith the Lord, or with my goodness, saith the Lord. Hey, there, there's definitely a difference there when you go from with goodness to with my goodness. Now, the truth is, is what they, I, I haven't studied this for myself, but we know that many of the Hebrew words, some of them have possession attached to them, right? And so in 1769, when they looked at it, they said, oh, I mean, yes, most people would probably understand that that's the goodness of the Lord, but for us to understand better, they put my goodness, saith the Lord, Okay. Jeremiah 51, verse number 30. Burnt their dwelling places versus burned her dwelling places. That's, that's different. You know, that's, that's kind of a change. Ezekiel 6, 8. That he may versus that ye may. He, ye, I mean, come on. You know, um, people throw a fit because some of the translations of the Bible that we have today take out the ye's and the thou's. They took out the he and made it a ye. So anyway, I'm just saying. Uh, Ezekiel 24, verse number 5. Let him seethe versus let them seethe. Uh, Ezekiel 24, verse 7. Uh, powered it upon the ground. Okay? Poured it not upon the ground. Wait. So did they pour it upon the ground or did they pour it not upon the ground? Not is kind of a big word. It's kind of important. Again, there's, there's something that clearly must have been missed there in the original 1611. Ezekiel 48, verse number 8, which, ye shall, which they shall versus which ye shall. And Daniel 3, verse number 15, I love the spelling. The fury furnace versus the burning fiery furnace. Uh, hey, there's, there's a difference there. Uh, Matthew 14, verse number 9, the other sake versus the oath's sake. Or the oath's sake versus the oath's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number 28. Helps in governments versus helps governments. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's just fun to read the spelling. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. And that versus after that. Those are, those are different, you know. Um, 1 John 5, 12. The son, comma, hath versus the son of God hath. So as you see, there are changes that have been made from the 1611. Now, some of them are for intelligibility to understand what was being said, to, 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 to further give understanding of, of things that maybe in 1611 they would have read and understood where the possession of something was. But when we read it today, we wouldn't be able to gather that. And so they make it a little bit easier for us to, to understand and most of the changes between the two, they're, they're nothing doctrinal, they're, they're minor, minor, but to say that the only changes are spelling of words is academically dishonest. It just is. Finally, and most importantly, what does Jesus have to say about the translation issue? <laughs> Did you know that? Jesus actually says something about the translation issue. He actually, he actually talks about it. Matthew chapter number four. This is where we're going to wrap up tonight. So find your way over to Matthew chapter 
number four. Because I want you to see it with your own eyes. Because Jesus actually talks about the translation issue. You didn't know it because, well, he doesn't say this is the translation issue, okay? But, but it, he, he deals with it. It's, it's incredible. Matthew chapter number four, he actually addresses this directly in the way that he does things. Matthew chapter number four, we know that Jesus, he's led up of the spirit to be tempted of the devil, led into the wilderness. 40 days, 40 nights go by. He's afterward, he's hungered. And the tempter comes to him. Satan comes to him to tempt him. In verse number three, he says, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written. Oh boy. Matthew, don't forget, Matthew is the first, is the start of Jesus' ministry. So this is taking place right after the 400 years of silence. So when he quotes this, he is quoting from the Old Testament. That's where it's coming from. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Now I want you to look at yours, and I want to read to you the quote that he quoted from the Old Testament. See how this lines up. The quote that he quoted was actually from Deuteronomy 8, verse number 3. He says this, and this was Jesus' quotation from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Read along in Matthew chapter number 4 and see if you notice anything. He said this, that he might make thee to know that the man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Word for word translation, wasn't it? A little bit different, wasn't it? I mean, like, now listen, it was the same meaning. I mean, it was, it was very, very similar. But there were some differences. Okay, jump down to verse number seven, okay? Just, just so we can, we can feel a little bit better about ourselves, okay? Uh, the devil comes to him, and he says, listen, uh, you know, in verse number six, he shall give you angels charge concerning thee, you know, cast yourself down, uh, lest you at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus says to him, it is written, here it is again, okay? Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse number seven. Now listen, he's quoting from Deuteronomy six, verse number 16. Listen to what it says here. It's very similar. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massa. That's very similar. I mean, it's very close. Verse number 10. Satan comes to him one final time. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of the, the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus says to them, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt not worship the Lord thy God and him only, or thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. That's what Jesus said. It was a quote from the Old Testament, once again, Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse number 13. You read there in verse number 10, as I quote the verse in Deuteronomy 6, 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Well, that's a little bit different. I mean, like, it's, it means the same thing. Now here, did Matthew just record it incorrectly? Maybe that's what it is. Matthew just, just got it wrong. He just quoted it incorrectly. Luke records the same story. So maybe Luke got it right, okay? So you look there in Matthew, okay? And I'm going to read what Luke quoted, what Luke said, okay? What Jesus said. In Luke chapter number four, verse number four, he says this, Jesus answered, said unto him, it is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
That's, that's pretty close to the same thing. Luke chapter number 4, verse number 12, the next one. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, I mean, like, that's like pretty much the exact same thing. What about, okay, verse number 8 of Luke chapter number 4. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt, not worship, the Lord, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Wait a second. That is like a word for word. Almost a word for word. I mean, like exactly the same thing that he said. So what Jesus said is recorded accurately. But when Jesus spoke those words, they were most likely spoken in Aramaic, the common language of the day. They were recorded in Greek, the New Testament, from a passage in the Old Testament that was Hebrew. When Jesus translated from one language to another, he made slight changes to the words without losing the meaning and keeping it as close to the original as possible through language and translation. Wow. So what does this mean for us today? You say, Kyle, you've crushed everything that I believe now, okay? What, what does it mean for us today? Well, it means, it means that God is powerful enough to preserve his word through its translations from one language to another language to another language. That's why whenever they translate the Bible into Spanish, they don't go to the King James Bible and translate it. They go to the Hebrew and the Greek and they translate it into Spanish. That's, whenever, that's why whenever they translate it to Russian, and that's a big, big one today, but when they translate it into to a Russian language, what do they do? They go back to the original manuscripts and they translate it from the original manuscripts into there. Why? Because that is God's perfect word. And whenever they get that word in their language, what is it? It's a copy of God's preserved word. What is the King James Bible? It is a copy of God's preserved word. We have God's word. It is his preserved word for us in the English language. So it means that we should love our King James Bible, that we should reverence it, that we should study it, that we should read it, that we should live by it, that it contains the preserved word of God for the English-speaking people. And here at Whitehall Baptist Church, as long as God allows me to be pastor, we will use the King James Bible, we will preach from the King James Bible, we will teach from it, we will read from it. Because 1 Corinthians 14.40 tells us, let all things be done decently and in order. There should be order to our service in the way that we do things. And we will use this, this text, a common text, the King James Version of the Bible. Because it is translated literally, accurately. But it also means that we shouldn't take a position that neither the translators, or listen, Jesus himself took. Believe it or not, Jesus wasn't King James only. Because the King James Version of the Bible didn't exist. With that being said, I do believe there are correct manuscripts that should be used for the translation. And to learn about those, you'll have to come back next time. Because <laughs> we're not going to dive into them tonight. But next time we will dive into the manuscripts and which ones we should be studying from, and which ones this book is translated from that tells us that it is God's preserved word for us.
So, a lot of information and a lot of crazy things that you probably never expected to be said, but hopefully give some clarity. Let's pray, and then we can take questions or anything else as we finish up. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that the things that we covered, Lord, I know that there's opportunity for confusion, but I pray, God, that, Lord, this, this group that you've brought here tonight, God, it's an opportunity to, for us to test our faith and to be strengthened in our faith. And I pray, God, that you'd allow us to do that, that we'd be strengthened, that we would have a more passionate love for your word as we understand it in a deeper and more powerful way. And God, thank you for preserving your word for us. Thank you, God, that, that we can read the scriptures, that we can study the scriptures in our own language. What a blessing that is. And God, I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted, but God, we would dive into your word and we would grow in it. Lord, thank you for your word and the truths that we find in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.